Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Heartland Franchise Guide, your insider's guide to franchises in the Heartland area. I'm Blake Martin, your Heartland Franchise Guy host for today's podcast. We are your one-stop shop for all things franchising in the Heartland area, education, resources, and advocacy for all of our local franchising field and for local entrepreneurs looking to learn more about this field in general. And if you're looking to learn more about this field, you're going to like this episode. Today, we're speaking with someone widely known as not just a franchising industry leader, but a true homegrown success story. We have with us today as our guest, Scooters Coffee's co-founder and small business advocate extraordinaire, Mr. Don Eccles. Don, thanks so much for joining us today. Glad to join you. I, um, I think that's probably a slight exaggeration about the credentials, but I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll lob in one more softball for you. Anybody ever told you that you have a voice made for podcasting? <laughs> you know, uh, no, nobody's ever told me that, but, um, um, uh, but I appreciate it. Well, thank you. And I do appreciate you joining yeah. us. Of course, when folks talk about franchising in this area anymore, particularly in recent years, Scooter's Coffee is a brand that often comes up. So I'm really interested to talk to you a little bit about the, the history of the company and, and your background, how it all started. So if you don't mind, I'd like to start with that point. You know, anymore, Scooter's is ubiquitous in this area, right? We see your locations everywhere, but I'd be interested to hear how did it all start? What was the motivation to start Scooters when you and Linda did that more than 20 years ago? Yeah, we, uh, I, uh, I grew up in Omaha. Linda grew up in western Nebraska in uh, Taberson. And um, we had uh, uh, been kind of entrepreneurs most of our lives, mostly failed entrepreneurs. I <laughs> was inexperienced at things, and so I tried this and tried that. And, and just over the years, you know, you get better at things. But one of the things that uh, that I did that worked out fairly well was I worked for a, a company uh, out of Chicago. It was a company no longer in, in business, but they, they were called JT's General Store. And it was a route sales business. But it was a route sales business that was owned by the, the folks that, that ran the routes. Uh, kind of like uh, you see the, the snap-on tool guys or the... You know, you see lots of route sales guys, the potato chip guys, they own their own routes. And that was kind of that type of deal. Uh, that company eventually went broke, but they had transferred me to California and uh, uh, I was working for them out there and they'd gone broke. So I got into the coffee business kind of by mistake. I meant to get into the ice cream and popcorn business. <laughs> and a friend uh, suggested that I get into coffee as well. This was in 1991. So we got into the coffee, ice cream, and popcorn business. We started a store, a store in Folsom, California, uh, and we called it Sweet Things in Java. Um, and uh, it was very early on in the coffee business. Uh, in fact, I tell people all the time, in 1991, there were 162 Starbucks in the country, and we thought at that time, holy cow, 162 stores, who are these guys? <laughs> That's perspective. Um, and uh, so that was pretty early on. Uh, what happened to kind of cut to the chase a little bit is um, my daughters graduated from high school and, you know, uh, we were wanting to come back to Omaha. So I had pulled into a guy who was building a little drive through something or other uh, in North Sacramento. And I stopped and visited with that guy one day and he told me he was building a drive through coffee place with a little double sided window on each 
mm-hmm. each side. And I, I went back home that night and told Linda, I said, this guy's, this guy's onto something. <laughs> and so I'd sit across the street from that guy's place uh, and just watch the cars go in and out. And so we came back when the, the girls graduated from high school, we came back to Omaha and started scooters with the idea of uh, scooters. The customers are scooters, scoot in and scoot out. Uh, so it was, we came back with the idea of drive through coffee and that was in 1997. So that's how we, that's how we uh, came back uh, or came up with the idea. And that's how we got started. That is a really interesting story. So you, you literally sat outside of this drive through coffee business's location mm-hmm. and studied yeah. what was happening. Yeah, there were, uh, there were a few drive through coffee places popping up out in California at the time. There were a couple of companies that no longer exist. Um, but it was a lot of mom and pop businesses back in those days, too, not just the drive throughs But again, there were 162 Starbucks. So pretty much everybody else was a mom and pop shop. And mm-hmm. uh, so there were a lot of those things, and nobody was really all that good at it. But my wife and I, uh, in our store, you know, I ran the store and she did deliveries from the store. So businesses would call in and my wife would, you know, drag around a basket of muffins and cinnamon rolls and uh, pots of coffee. And she, you know, people would call in orders and she'd go out and do deliveries. And that's, uh, you know, we scratched out a living and, you know, I, I started watching that guy and it's like cars are coming into him and his his wife isn't dragging a basket of muffins around. And so it's like, this guy's, this guy's got it going. So, you know, that's kind of how we came up with the idea. And we, we just knew that specialty coffee was not really, um, it really wasn't prevalent at all in the Midwest. And so we felt like it was a real opportunity to come back and, and uh, try some things here. Well, and, and not only was it not very prevalent here at the time, but if I'm understanding correctly from prior conversations, certainly the idea of doing it with a drive through format made you even more unique, which leads yeah. me to another kind. I mean, you could say that you were trailblazing in a way in the industry, whether you knew how you were going to yeah. grow or not. But when you're trailblazing like that, typically organizations, franchises and non take a few lumps along the way. It, could you yeah. talk to us a little bit about that? Did you, did you take a few lumps in the learning process? Oh, yeah, no, we, took, uh, we took some lumps. You have, I, I think you're exactly right, because, again, back in those days, uh, when we opened the first scooters, uh, 24, uh, 24th and Cornhusker in Bellevue, uh, was in early 1998, um, and there was, um, there was one other drive through coffee place, and that was Plain. I, I know there were two. There was a place called Cappuccino, etc. at One Pacific Place, and they went out of business a long time ago. That place is now a Scooter's Coffee. And, in fact, all the Crane stores are now Scooter's Coffee, too. But back in those days, there was, uh, there was a Crane store at 78th and Cass, and then uh, they were in the process of building one at 129th and Maple, and then there was that Cappuccino, etc. at One Pacific Place. So that was really all that there was, and, and there was none of that when we first started working on permitting back in Omaha. But by the time we got here, those things were going. So it was like, you know, that was a little disappointing. Like we thought we were going to come back and turn the market on drive through coffee, and all of a sudden there are a couple of other competitors. And um, kind of funny. Uh, the the uh, guy that started uh, Crane, name was Steve Hamilton. Steve passed away several years ago, but um, we, he was kind of my competitor back in those days. And mm-hmm. It was kind of funny because we had a store and he'd have two, and then we'd have two and he'd have four, <laughs> and we'd have three and he'd have six. <laughs> it's like what the heck, you know? And uh, but it, you know, we just competed with each, with each other. Steve and Paulette were good folks, and 
Uh, we just competed with each other for locations and trying to figure out the business, too. We both made dumb decisions on locations lots of times. And you kind of had to figure things out as you went along. And eventually, you know, as we refined the model, uh, we figured out what worked and what didn't. But the, the, my point about that was that when we came back, Starbucks wasn't doing drive through coffee, except occasionally mm-hmm. they'd stumble into a place that had a drive through um, And their whole shtick at that point, if you remember, was Starbucks was the third place. It was home, work, and Starbucks. Yes. And drive through coffee did not work with uh, the whole concept of, uh, you know, the third place. They wanted people to come into their stores and stay. So our, our deal was not that we had some genius idea. Our deal was there were plenty of places to get coffee in the country. And so if we want to have people come to us, we felt like we needed to offer something different than what everybody else offered. And for us, it was going to be about higher quality drinks. We were going to use the highest quality stuff on the market. And we were going to uh, do all drive-through. It was all about drive-through. Our focus is drive-through. We tell people all the time, we build drive-through kiosks and occasionally we attach a camping house to them. But <laughs> it's all about drive-through. And then amazing customer service. So we trademarked a slogan 15 years ago for it is amazing people, amazing drinks, amazingly fast. And that's what we focus on as um, as our approach. And I, I say that only because that was kind of the model back in those days. And that yeah. was a challenge. Um, imagine going to a bank in 1998 and asking to borrow money to build a drive through coffee kiosk in somebody's parking lot in Omaha, Nebraska, and sell $3 cups of coffee. You know, they looked at you like you were from Mars or, uh, you know, talk to a landlord about leasing your space. And he'd think, you know, you're going to go broke and he's going to be stuck with your dumb little building in his place. And <laughs> so that was the challenge that we had back in those days. And then, of course, you know, McDonald's got into the drive through coffee business at that point, too, with their McCafes. I think that was in about 2000. Uh, maybe it was 1999, but it was about that same time. So the, the competition got fairly stiff and we just had to keep working at getting better and better at it and figuring out you know what what our niche was and and uh and keep focusing on that well that was a um that really resonated with me at the end there you 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 stuck with it you had a belief in um in having that unique differentiator and clearly you were not dissuaded from that right well uh, you know look um i've I say to people all the time, and I say this with humility, but, you know, people always, you know, they kind of make fun of McDonald's and they say, oh, you know, hamburgers aren't that great and this and that and the other thing. And it's like, I look at that and I say, are you kidding me? They have a decent hamburger and their lines are longer at lunchtime than anybody else's. So <laughs> whatever they've got going, they've got going well. And I look at Starbucks the same way. You know, people say, well, they're not this and they're not that. Starbucks is good at this and they've got a lot of stores. And if Everybody wanted, uh, if it was just about a cup of coffee, there's plenty of places to get them. So what we figured, uh, what, we, what we staked our, our thought process on is that uh, we don't have to beat anybody else to win. All we have to do is know what our race is and run our race and run it as well as we can possibly run it. And for us, we think it's going to be about location. It's going to be about high-quality drinks. It's going to be about the customer service. Uh, it's going to be about the speed of uh, that service. Um, and focus on those things. And if we focus on those things and we hire to those things and we uh, bring franchisees in that understand those things, that's the race that we, we run. And as long as we keep running our race, we generally do pretty well. It's when we get off track and start thinking we have to beat everybody else at their race uh, that we start, you know, making mistakes. 
That's a great point. And you kind of segued into a question I wanted to ask anyways, Don, and that's just about the idea of having gone through those lumps and the experiences that you learned. I heard you say that you and your competitor made some dumb decisions early on, like all of us business owners do. But we also talk about in franchising, you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself, right? Yeah, right. So what would you say to folks as far as what do the the franchise owners within scooters in the year 2020, uh, what do they gain from the lumps that you took from, from what you've learned over these years? Well, I think that, um, we, we've just been so fortunate, honestly. I, um, again, I, I just say this with humility because I don't want to uh, pretend that we have it all figured out, but we're doing really well. And, uh, and our franchise owners are very happy. We don't have, that I know of today, we don't have a single store for sale in our system. Um, and we really don't have on a regular basis. People really like their business. They want to expand their business. But I, I think that um, the, the point that you're trying to get to is uh, what, they, what they gain and the, from the experience is a deep sense of commitment from their franchisor uh, that people have invested a lot of money. And I, I tell people all the time when we bring them in for, uh, we call it the amazing day. Some folks call it uh, uh, discovery day. But when we bring people in for the amazing day, and now we do virtually the amazing days because of the pandemic, but when we bring people in, we tell people all the time, Linda and I used to, you know, we'd lie in bed and talk about, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, mm-hmm. we're going to have, you know, six or seven stores, and I'm going to raise coffee, and I'll drive a little forklift, and, you know, how cool that's all going to be. And all of those fantasies about what we were going to do, none of them ever included losing our investment or having our kids not be able to go to college or us losing our house. And we remember that. We, we know that everybody else is, is in the same way. They're excited about what they're going to do. And the idea of losing all of their money or cashing in their 401k and, and going through, that does not enter into their, their thought process. So we take very seriously our responsibility to make it work for people. And so uh, we focus very hard on the location and making sure that we know what we're looking for and that we find the right spot and that we recruit the right franchisees uh, to work in our system that get what we do and get how our model works. I tell people all the time, you know, when we talk about franchise things, uh, that if you don't understand the magic of our business, you don't understand the loyalty nature of the coffee business or why people come to us instead of somebody else, uh, then it's just a transaction. And if it's just a transaction, you better hope a better transaction doesn't come along down the street. So we have to understand what it is that works in our business, and we have to really buy into that. And if we don't buy into it, then, you know, we might do fine. We might not. But if we do buy into it and we just keep focusing on the right things all the time, it's just it's pretty hard to not do well in this business, but <laughs> but a lot of people don't do well. Not in the scooters business. We do pretty well, pretty much across the board. But there, it's coffee's hard. It's a loyalty business. People love their coffee place. They drink coffee every day, and we've got to get it right. We've got to understand. There's got to be a reason that people come to us instead of somebody else, and there's got to be a reason that somebody would get out of someone else's line and get into our line. And if we can't give them that reason, then we might not get them. So that's what we focus on. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can hear in your voice how serious you are about that, how passionate you are about it. Yeah, and I, I think that's, um, you know, I think that's the thing that, um, that we tell people is it, it's, 
it's going to work. It's likely going to work out very well as long as we all have, have the right understanding about how this business works and why it works, and we all agree with that and we we focus on that and work on it. And um, and then we've got you know great marketing folks; they do their thing, and we've got great real estate folks, and they do their thing. But at the end of the day, all of that stuff is just trying to put the right pieces in place. But still. You have to smile at that customer, and you have to make a great drink, and you have to get them in and out quickly, and they have to matter to you, and you have to matter to them. And if we if we can get to that point, we have a very strong chance of winning. So that's that's what we do on a day in and day out basis. What made you decide? What made you choose the franchising model for your growth? Well, I think that uh, you know one of the things that we. And, you know, you ask a little bit ago about some of the mistakes that mm-hmm. you make early on. And I think a lot of franchisors make this mistake, probably even most. Uh, well, I think there's probably one that they make that I that we tried not to make. Uh, I think the biggest mistake a lot of franchisors make is they start franchising before they have a viable model. Indeed. Because the idea of having other people uh, do the stuff and you, you know, you just sit around and, you know, dictate from on high. That sounds fairly appealing, but that's not really the way it works. And so what I find is that a lot of franchisors don't make it or they don't have a good franchise opportunity because they really haven't vetted the opportunity. They haven't even seen that the model is viable and that people can make a living at it and that it's a, a, a growth model and that you, you know, you can do some things. But having said that, that's it. Let's just assume that you don't don't do that, then I think this is where I started to say this is one of the mistakes we made, and I think probably most do. And that is originally the people who want to buy franchises are people who have seen you doing it and say, I want to have one of those. Right. And so it's like people buying jobs. It's customers maybe that are coming through and say, I'd love to own one of these things. Or it's family members who see that you're liking your business and they want to own one too. And so, you know, that's kind of the way we started off franchising. And, and the idea of that was that, again, we believed so seriously in the customer experience and making sure that, uh, that that it was a special deal and not just a transaction. Our feeling was that by having franchise owners instead of a bunch of employees, that the franchise owners would, would care as much about the business as we do and that they would then take responsibility in each of those individual stores to make sure that that customer experience is just amazing. That isn't always the case. And so this is where the mistake came in. You you basically find that you're selling jobs to people at that point. People are buying a business and they love it. But, you know, some people are like putting their family fingers up in their store and they're putting doilies Mm -hmm. on the countertops and you know, they bring in flowers and do this and do that. And it's like, there's, you have no real model. It's just everybody selling the same coffee and you've got the same sign on the building outside, but you really don't have a model. And as time goes on and you realize, no, we've got a serious business opportunity here, but we've got to get better at this. Then maybe the pendulum swings back the other way. And what we started doing then is maybe looking for business people, people that had some business savvy and said, okay, we need people that understand how business works, not people who are just buying jobs. And so that pendulum kind of swings back the other direction. And then you're bringing in people that don't really get the the magic or the, the heart of the business. It's just, a, it's a bunch of transactions to them. That's what they look at. Right. And then, and then it, I think towards the middle and you get to a point, if you keep working at it and getting better at it, where you say, no, you've got to find people that, that, 
really understand the magic of this business, that really love this business and get it, that are sophisticated enough to run a business and understand how profit works and that's something. But we can teach people how to, uh, you know, how to do the books. We can teach people how to pull espresso shots and, and texturize milk. That's stuff that you can teach people. But you've, you've got to have people that really get it and love it and look at it and say, man, this is, this is the way I want to make my living. And if you, you have that and there's just a love for the, the whole concept of what we do in the coffee business, um, then I think that's where you, you start uh, getting into a good spot. And then from that, over the years, we've gotten to the point now where, you know, people want to buy 10 or 20 or so store deals. Um, and, uh, you know, but again, they're real, they're business people that get our model and do that well. And a lot of our, our bigger franchisees are actually people who have been franchisees for 10 or 15 years uh-huh. that have just over the years accumulated a lot of stores. So sure. it's, it's kind of that, but we've, um, we've gotten to a point where we've really refined our model and we're really specific about who we bring in and, and who we don't bring in. Well, and you know, that, that brings us to the the end of our time here, but I think what you just said at the end kind of answers the last question I was going to ask you, and that was all about, you know, what should people know who are looking to research and join Scooter's franchise as a franchise owner? And if I'm hearing you correctly, it's you can't train the love of the business into people. Right. I think that you have to really this is a business that you have to be kind of passionate about. It's a fun business. Honestly, I, I mean, I just, I just am hopelessly in love with this business, <laughs> but it's a fun business because people are coming in and they, they choose to come in and they come in. Our average customer comes in three and a half times a week. I mean, how many businesses are like that? Nobody right. buys pizza three and a half times a week <laughs> or hamburgers three and a half times a week or steak, but they do coffee some customers come in every day. Some come in twice a day, but our yeah, I'm one of those <laughs> three and a half times a week. And so, you know, that's just a, that's a, that's something you've just got to be really excited about and love. And then you have to understand people aren't coming to scooters. They're stopping at scooters on their way to someplace. So we've got to be respectful of their time. Uh, one of the big lessons I learned early on was a, a guy uh, named Chuck Williams. We, I just saw him the other day because we did our, our, our very first store and we tore it down and rebuilt it. And he came down for a rebrand opening. And I was reminding Chuck that very early on when we started the business, uh, he, he uh, and we were struggling, uh, you know, to try to, you know, get customers in and that sort of thing. And Chuck came by one afternoon and he said, man, you guys are getting busy. He said, you were so busy today, I couldn't even smile. And he thought he was complimenting me, and it was just like <laughs> to my heart because I thought, oh, my gosh, how many people are looking over and seeing the line and saying, I can't stop today. So that was one of those lessons that was really good for us because we learned that that line, we better be moving that line. If our customers can trust that they can get in behind 10 cars and they'll get out of there in four or five minutes, they'll get in that line all day long. But if we hold them in line for 10 or 15 minutes, they just won't do that again. Right. They'll wait until there's just no cars. See, it's just all those things and, and being good at it and focusing on it. And that has to matter to you. And if it matters to you uh, and you focus on getting better all the time, then this is a great business. But if, if that stuff doesn't matter, I tell people all the time, just go buy a Burger King or a Wendy's and, you know, cause those are good businesses too. But what we do, we have to get it right. There's too much competition. Well, I think that sums it up very well. It sums up what your business is all about, your leadership and why the business has grown 
Don, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to share with us today and provide some education about scooters and generally about franchising with us today. So thank you so much for sharing the Scooters Coffee franchise story with us today. Yeah, glad to, glad to be here, and um, uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Appreciate your time, Don. We're out of time for today's episode with the Heartland Franchise Guy. If you do have questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us at theheartlandfranchiseguy.com. That's heartlandfranchiseguy.com. Once again, we'd like to thank our guest today, Don Eccles, co-founder of Scooter's Coffee Franchise. Appreciate all of you joining us, and I hope you all have a wonderful day. A part of Media Production.